Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Thank you so much. I love that you said when you, 10 years ago, I didn't know anything about anything in this world. I thought it was a really nice line. Um, it's great to be with you all. Thanks so much for um, inviting me to, to share with you that I love this kind of way of doing church. I normally, we normally do pre-recorded stuff in my church. So it's really lovely actually being able to be with people. Uh, it feels like in person. Um, and I wonder if you've got a Bible, do you want to turn to John chapter 12? John chapter 12 is probably quite a well-known passage you're going to look at, but I'm going to look at it in a, in a few minutes, if that's all right, because I want to introduce it a particular way. Um, but I want to, one of the questions that uh, this whole bizarre season has, has been pressing upon me, um, may have upon you as well, I don't know, but during all, the last six months of COVID and lockdown, uh, the, a question has been pressing upon me that is life a comedy or a tragedy? Is life a comedy or a tragedy? Is, is life a, meant to be a sort of upbeat sunny time in the sun is it meant to be sort of dark and gloomy and depressing and 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 what's the shape of the life story i should be expecting i don't mean for for individual people i don't mean is like my life right now a comedy or a tragedy because that varies many times in one day i i get up the sun's shining i feel great i stub my toe i feel awful i'm not talking about that i mean is the shape of the human life comic or tragic Wherever you are, whoever, you, what should we expect of this life? Is it, does it end in an up or does it end in a down? How, what am I supposed to expect from this life? And I think the last few months have been so challenging and weird. And what I'm observing in the culture, as well as in the church, is sometimes people's expectations of what this life should be have been challenged because from living, many of us, a fairly easy, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of existence, the brakes have been slammed on, haven't they, for so many of us. And it's made life weird and hard and has made us ask some quite big questions. Now, what I mean by comedy and tragedy, you may have studied Shakespeare at school. And when you did, uh, you may have discovered that a comedy is not necessarily, you might not think it was very funny. And a tragedy might not necessarily make you cry. But that ultimately a comedy is a story where everything may seem like it's going wrong in the middle, but it all ends happily ever after. And a tragedy is a story which may look like it's going great in the middle, but it actually ends terribly. It ends in disaster. And so I was in two Shakespearean plays when I was at university. I was you know, a bit of a nerd and I basically wanted to be an actor my entire life. I'm still doing it in the form of trying to be a preacher. And so I was in two Shakespearean plays and one of them was Much Ado About Nothing, which has this disastrous bit in the middle and you think everything's falling apart, but it all ends happily at the end. And so it's a comedy. And then you have, I was also in Romeo and Juliet, which is probably, you know, well know. It's a very famous story where there's this beautiful love story in the middle, but it ends in disaster and everyone dies. Sorry if that spoils it for you. And so a comedy, if you like, is shaped, is any story which is shaped ultimately like a smile, where it starts kind of start looks, you know, starts with a nice beginning, but then everything goes terribly wrong and it's really hard in the middle, but it ends really well and goes up at the end that's a comedy it's shaped like a smile and a tragedy is a story that's shaped like a frown where it goes up in the middle and you think it's going to be okay but in the end it's as good as it ever gets and it fades and eventually becomes disaster and 
my question, I think, which I think can be helpful to reflect on biblically and in the season we're in, in as a society, as a world, is, is life, is the, the shape of your life, of the world, is the shape of eternity, is the shape of life like a comedy or like a tragedy? And I hope that's a helpful, it's a kind of, should be a provocative question, because I think in many views of life, ultimately life is shaped like a tragedy. It has its high points, but basically it ends with a funeral rather than with a wedding. Like in most views of the world, that's what you get. I particularly a blunt statement of this from the atheist Professor Lawrence Krauss. He's a scientist and he often debates Christians. He's well known on YouTube and he's written a lot of major books. But he has this great quote, I'll just read it. He says, the picture that science presents to us is uncomfortable because what we've learned is that we are more insignificant than we could ever have imagined. And in addition, it turns out that the future is miserable. That's his comment. I mean, it's a basically a more wordy way of saying what, if you're my age, now 40 odd, you'll know Richard Ashcroft, Bittersweet Symphony. It's a bittersweet symphony, this life, trying to make ends meet, trying to find some money, then you die. And that's the, that's the shape. It's a tragic. Now, actually, they're just saying very briefly what ultimately a lot of people might want to deny, but ultimately have to confront, which is that the shape of life, for, if you believe effectively a, a, a secular story, a materialist story, is that you're born, things might go pretty well and you might do you know might do well you might be wealthy you might be uh you might be attractive you might be fit you might be but over time that's going to fade and in the end you're going to go into the ground and that's a pessimistic way of saying it the thing is our world is con you know everywhere we have optimistic spins on that pessimistic story now i mean you think about this but that's what advertising a lot of the time is doing advertising is really saying some version of carpe diem or yolo you only live once and it's saying you've only you're, you're in this bit of your life right now right many of them all the people i've seen so far on the screen are, i guess somewhere between 20 and 45 so you're in the good bit now it's good you're gonna make hay while the sunshine's go out and you're gonna have some relationships and you're gonna have some fun and you're gonna drink some and you've got to enjoy the sunshine because in the end it's going down and then that's the end and it's fades to black and advertising is trying to sell you stuff in that period to make sure that you they effectively can cash in on the fact that you know one day you're going to die and that's the an optimistic spin that's what's behind a concept like 31 things to do before you die or a thousand and one places to visit before you die i don't know anyone who's visited a thousand and one places as a result of reading a book like that but that's the heart of it isn't it it's this life is a tragedy it's shaped like a frown it goes up and you've got to do well here because eventually you're going to go down again the cult of youth there's a similar telltale sign. People want to be young. People want to spend billions and billions trying to read young, watch young, think young, make yourself physically, you know, whether it's through creams or Botox, who knows what it could be, but it's ways of trying to make yourself feel younger so that you can convince yourself that the fade to black is not too near. The light at the end of the tunnel is a long way away. And one of the things that happens when you go through a period like we have in the last six months is that narrative gets destabilized that the the way that our culture has tried to convince us that this is actually kind of good because you're in this period here actually what happens is the tragic ending comes closer and closer to our thinking it becomes more pressing and present meaning hang on if that's where it's all going to end that's not good news at all that's a bummer i don't understand how you can try and sell me stuff or convince me that's good but the tragic narrative that is Basically, the materialist story, that is, there's nothing in the world except matter, 
right? There's no spirit, there's no eternity, there's just matter. In the end, just whether you get 20 or 90 years, it ultimately fades and turns into black at a funeral. Life doesn't end in a wedding, it ends in a funeral, a dirge, a fade, fertilizing the, the ground. And because that's the shape of the story that we live in, it might be that that's been told pessimistically, like Lawrence Krauss says it, oh, it's all awful. Or it might be it's being told optimistically. Eh, it's great, get out there in the sun and enjoy it. But either way, life has a tragic shape to it. And the only reason you might not think that way is because you're at this point of the curve. And ultimately, you're going to end up down here. That's the only hope you have in that kind of world is that actually Jesus came to say and do something completely different. I want to read you what he said because he gave a totally different account of the shape of life, which is that it's a comedy and that it begins like, goes up like this, goes down into the middle, but then it rises up again and concludes in glory and hope and a wedding. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these Greeks came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor them. This is the word of God. Now, that's one of those things that Jesus says that turns all worldly wisdom completely on its head. Right? It is deliberately paradoxical. It's topsy-turvy. It's upside down. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And the reason it's topsy-turvy is because what Jesus is doing is flipping the normal worldly narrative. It was common in the Greek world as much as in ours. That life is effectively this shape. It's tragic, shaped like a frown. Jesus was saying, no. Actually, the shape of reality is comic. It's shaped like a smile for those who are in Christ. A grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies. But in dying, it becomes very, very fruitful. It goes up. It fills the world with life and abundance. And it points beyond itself into a hope-filled, glorious future. And in the same way, Jesus, the Son of Man, who is about to be glorified, he could cling on to his life and say, I want to keep it. But if I did, I would lose it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it up willingly and I'm going to go into the ground. I'm going to go down to the lowest point of the smile. But as I die, and I'm just about to, I am going to bring forth much fruit, just like a seed, just like happens in every year in autumn, that the seeds fall to the ground and they produce much life. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to live a smile-shaped life going down into the, into the earth in order that I might rise again and produce much fruit. And that is the narrative shape, actually, of Christianity as a whole. That's the shape of the Bible, right? The life of Jesus is shaped like a smile. If you've ever noticed that before, it's unlike any other biography you've read, right? And all biographies basically go like this. They say, well, 
you know you have to read a boring chapter at the beginning yeah i was a child once and my parents were oh. and then it goes into this sort of and this is where i did all these things i achieved these great things and then towards the end of that it, this is how i ended up leaving what i was doing and here's now what i'm going to do next and in the end i die but the narrative shape of jesus is completely the other way around it's like no i had everything i i did not consider in that sense equality with god something to be grasped but i considered myself nothing i made myself nothing and i lowered myself into the ground i became i took the form of a slave i suffered i was rejected i was tortured i was abused and whipped and nailed and killed and i was died and i and i died and i was buried i went into the ground and in that point the key moment in my life is at the very bottom of the smile and then on the third day i rose again from the uh, from the dead according to the scriptures and now i am seated at the right hand of god the father and i'm going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and my kingdom will never end my story of scripture is shaped the same way it's shaped like a smile it begins with a fall from grace it has a period of hundreds of years of slavery it has the death and loss and destruction of exile and has the crucifixion in some ways the, the very low point but then it rises and the church spreads and the gospel spreads and the kingdom of god expands and fills the world like yeast leavening its way through a lump of dough and ultimately the story ends with a wedding and happily ever after from most perspectives the life we live now especially if you're young fit beautiful rich whatever it is is the best life ever gets from scripture's perspective, the life we live now is the lowest it ever gets. It's the low point of the curve. And then actually the resurrection life kicks in and turns all things into a joy and a laughter forever. And that story is something we reflect in a number of different ways in the life of the church. I know we're probably not doing a lot of this at the moment, but it's the story we enact in baptism. You think this through? I love, I love baptisms. A brilliant way of making, of illustrating this idea, because in a baptism service, what we do, it's certainly in a church like this, where we baptize people in in the water, it's actually put them down. We like bury them, and then up, we are enacting the the comic shape of the Christian life. We're saying you are going down into death in order that you might rise to new life. You're going down into the grave, and then rising. Life, death, burial, resurrection, everlasting life. Unless a person goes down into the water and dies, they remain alone. But if they die, they will rise and bear much fruit. It's beautiful. We do it the same when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We effectively have death. Like it's bizarre Christianity because our two main ceremonies, baptism and the Lord's Supper, the bread and wine, celebrate death. They're saying, look, here is death at the center. Baptism's a burial service. And the Lord's Supper, you eat a body and drink blood. But in the middle of our ceremonies, in the middle of our sacraments, our expressions of death in order that we might focus our hope at the low point, knowing that it has given us the right to rise again into everlasting peace. And that's not how most organizations do their initiation. <laughs> if, I, if we say to most, in most, you know, football club, right? You say, we are going to welcome a new person into our football club. What happens is you initiate them on a high and you lift them up. Actually, what happens is there's a photo shoot, the cameras come around, the manager standing next to the person holding a shirt and it's got their number on it and saying, yeah, now we're now welcoming so-and-so Sancho's joining our club and Hey, here's a big photo shoot. Blah, 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 and everybody celebrates it. And that's the high point. And 
the football manager arrives and you know a new person turns up and it's like yeah okay we're now welcoming this person and it's great to have ole with us and he's gonna i'm sure lead us to great glory whatever it may be and uh, or you may be pep i don't know which side of manchester you are um i'm liverpool fan so probably neither and both <laughs> neither is gonna work for me but what happens is we celebrate that high point and then at the end of it it's always like we are very grateful to jose for his services to the club and it fades and it disappears and becomes a commentator or Spurs manager or whatever it is and that's the shape in many ways of most initiations we we celebrate at a high point where they are and 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 sort of rejoice in the sunshine and then eventually it fades them and Christianity is the opposite in Christianity we say we're going to make it as bad as it can be we're going to bury you we're going to put you in the ground we're going to eat bodies and drink blood we want you to know that this is a place of death because when Christ as Bonhoeffer said Christ calls a man he bids him come and die he wants you to lay your life down, and as you do, you will find it. Down leads to up. Burial leads to resurrection. And that's why we celebrate them. They enact the reality that we have lost our lives in order that we might find them, and that we have died that we might live. It's the shape of Christianity. It's the shape of Scripture. It's the shape of the life of Jesus. And the only reason that it works is because Jesus has done it himself. You see, the reason why Christians have hope like that, the reason why we would major on the low point of the curve and celebrate the reality of the future to which it points is because we know what Jesus himself has already done. And the Christian hope is that what has happened to Jesus will happen to us and will happen to everything else. So Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. That is to say that what has happened to Jesus is going to happen to you if you're in Christ, right? He lives, suffers, dies, buried, rises, and then inherits everlasting life. And that's going to happen to you as well. That's the shape of your future. That's the shape of the life to which you've been called because you're in Christ. And so as he goes down into the grave and rises, so will you. And that's what happens to Christians. It's also, by the way, what happens to the whole of creation, which is a theme that we don't often think about as much. We think, oh, what's it mean for me? But it's what it means for the world as well. This is how scripture ends. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the old earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw that what had happened to Christ had now happened to the entire world and that the world itself had gone through, if you like, a death and a burial and then a resurrection into everlasting life and glory and hope and celebration that jesus is the template for everything he's the forum he's the one whose pattern shapes what happens to the rest of us so he as he says in john 12 he goes and falls into the ground and dies but then in rising again bears much fruit he's beaten and humiliated and executed and violated on friday but then he's vindicated and victorious on sunday and in the same way you and me you have followers of Jesus, you also go into the ground. You go into the water of baptism. You go into the suffering of this present age with creation groaning, saying, come on, groaning like a woman in labor, Paul says. Come on, I want this pain to be over. I want the sufferings of this six months to be over. I want to be doing things normally again, whatever it might be. And I want the, what this world could be. I want to experience the renewal of creation. I want there to be no more death and no more viruses and no more sadness of any kind. And that as we do, we 
We go down into death knowing that because Jesus has gone there too, we will join him. And we will see, in that sense, the sufferings of this present time turn to the unspeakable, indescribable glory that God has prepared for those who love him. And creation itself in the same way, though blighted by sin and death and viruses and racism and all the other things we've seen in these last few months, is redeemed fully and finally by its creator. Then heaven and earth in the end get married. And the story ends with a wedding march rather than a funeral march. And the only funeral there, of course, is the funeral of death and Hades. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, grave, is your sting? That's where the story's going. Christian life is shaped like a smile. The Christian life is a comedy. And actually, in a materialist story, it's not. It might be an optimistically spun tragedy. And I can see why. I think that's what I would do too. I don't know where you're coming from today. I don't know whether you yourself would say, actually, I'm, I'm a, you might not use the word materialist, but I think matter's all there is. I think that's it. I basically think atoms, that physical stuff, that's it. There's no spirit, no soul. I don't believe that. I don't think, I think when you're dead, you're dead. That's, we're done. That ultimately is a, a tragic shape to story, shape to life. And in some ways, I applaud people who can see that it is. But I, I suppose my challenge this evening is to say, I, what I don't think we can do is to say that life's a tragedy and then try and act as if it's not and try and postpone thinking about it for another day. You've got to know, you see, the fact that Christians think life is shaped like a comedy doesn't make a Christian naive about suffering and about tragedy. See, in many ways, if you think that life is shaped like a smile, then you will expect far greater levels of suffering and discomfort and pain in the here and now than someone who thinks it's shaped like a frown. Because, of course, in the, in the materialist story, this is the high point. But in the Christian story, this is the low point. So if you're a believer, you're going to say, I'm just I'm expecting the world to contain events and sorrows and sadnesses like the present age we're in. That's what I that's what I signed up for. That's why we bury people on their way into the Christian life. I, I, I get this. I, I, know, I don't like it. I hate it with all my soul. But I know that that's the season in the story that we're in. I get that that's where things are. My expectation of this life as a believer is that it's going to be harder and more painful than most of my friends think it will. If they're not believers, because I'm signing into a story that's this shape, not that shape. But my hope is that ultimately this life is not all there is. And in that sense, death, which I'm expecting now, I'm very, very aware of death. I'm a pastor. I spend a lot of time burying people in baptism and funerals and preparing people to die. So I know what this is. But I live that way, knowing that death leads to resurrection. Falling into the ground leads to great fruitfulness, Jesus says. Baptism leads to new life. Friday leads to Sunday. Weeping may last for the night. But joy cometh in the morning. And there may be some people joining us today who aren't sure if any of this is true. I suspect there are. Praise God. Can I just offer you one thing to think about? If that's that's you, if you say, I I don't believe this or I'm not sure if I do believe it. A short little message like this can't possibly convince you that the Christian story, the divine comedy, if you want to call it that, is true. I can't possibly do that in 20 minutes. But my hope is that it might make you want it to be true. It might make you think, I don't don't even know how you would know whether that was true or not. But I want to, I'd love it if it were. 
And I, if there are a whole bunch of people around me claiming that it is true and that they've got good reasons to say that it's true, I want to know what those reasons are. I want to understand. So you may not be convinced. Great. You may have objections and questions. Many people do. But find out. That's my, that's my offer, I suppose, my, my invitation to you today. Find out. Consider. Read up. Discuss. Speak. Maybe go on the Alpha course, which we will run as a church and as an opportunity to talk this stuff through and say, why, why do you believe that? And why, why don't I believe that? And how might we come and find a place to meet on that? Because if this story was true, it would provide, would it not a hope and a joy that could not be taken away even by the worst circumstances we face. And if you were a Christian today, if things are going well for you at the moment, or if things are going awfully for you at the moment, it's helpful to remember, I think that life is shaped like a smile. Some of us right now are walking on sunshine. Some of us are walking on eggshells. Some of us are walking on broken glass. Jesus didn't say it would be easy this side of the grave. And his life wasn't a picnic either. But he did say something that turns the tragedy of death and carpe diem and advertising and YOLO and all the rest completely on its head. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this remarkable story. I thank you for the remarkable hope it provides. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that death is not a full stop. It's a hyphen. It's a comma. It points beyond itself to a deeper, richer, better reality. And that means that whatever we are going through, however good or awful our day, our lockdown, our six months have been, we are in a position to celebrate the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We thank you for Jesus. And we love you. Amen.